you would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, I'm going to begin in chapter 16 at verse 28. Our focus is chapter 17, verses 1 through 13, but by way of reminder, chapter 16, verse 28 and following, this is God's word. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Jesus had said in chapter 16, and of course, the chapters, the chapter divisions were added many, many, many years later, centuries later. Jesus had said, I tell you the truth, there are some who are standing here who will not die, who will not taste death, before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What in the world does that mean? Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. And they went up a high mountain. Oh. So this was a manifestation of the Son of Man coming in his glory that only three were allowed to see. Well, what about the others? 
God has his purposes and God has his ways and he doesn't have to explain himself. He took three with him, the three he was closest to. It's not just here on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's in other situations too. We see that Peter, James, and John were the three disciples who were closest to Jesus. They were his best friends. And of those three, John was the closest. Well, I don't think that's very democratic. It's not. The kingdom of God is not a democracy, it's a kingdom. And guess what? You and I are not the kings. Jesus Christ is Lord. And he has all authority because he only does the will of the Father. He doesn't sometimes say, well, not today. I'm going to do what I want today. He always, only does the will of the Father. So Jesus took with him three, the three he was closest to, and they went up a mountain, and there he was transfigured before them. What does transfigured mean? It means that his appearance was transformed. Well, what did it look like? Well, for one thing, his face was as bright as the sun. Can't really look at it. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as the light. One of the Gospels refers to it this way, whiter than any launderer could make them. Okay? They weren't just spotlessly clean like a detergent commercial. They were shining. They were giving forth light. Jesus' face was shining like the sun. His clothes were shining like light. If you go back to the beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 1, God says, let there be light, and there was light. He was manifesting his glory, his likeness in creation. And the light of God's glory, the Shekinah glory of God, this bright light is a manifestation of who he is. There's no darkness in him. God shines beyond what we can comprehend. And we see that in the description of heaven and of the description of Jesus, some of the descriptions of Jesus in the book of Revelation. So what they saw here was unlike anything they'd ever seen before. But Jesus, in his glory, also had some visitors, Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, those two summing up, if you will, all the Old Testament. I mean, there were a bunch of heroes in the Old Testament, David, um, Joseph, for goodness sake, uh, Abraham. They weren't there on this occasion. Just Moses and Elijah who represented the Torah 
pointing to Jesus. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in Moses and the prophets. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. And so Peter always has something to say. And he has a proposal to make. Lord, it's good for us to be here. You know, this, is, this was a great idea, taking this hike up the mountain. You know, and, and we're really happy to be here. I think this is a wonderful thing. I've got an idea. How about, now, remember, Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus, but Peter, Peter interrupts because he's got an idea. He has, he has something he wants to suggest. He can do something for them, okay? I mean, I can understand wanting to do something for these folks, and I can understand why what he wanted to do for them was to sort of make sure this isn't about to stop. Let's prolong this situation. I mean, I'm sorry, but when we tell the others (laughs) that we not only went on a special hike, just us and Jesus, but that Moses and Elijah showed up? I mean, this is really, this is great. So he says, how about if I build three shelters, three lean-tos? The Jews had an annual camp out called the Feast of Booths, where they would build per God's instruction. God had told them to do this. Once a year, the whole family went camping. I'll let you do with that what you will. But once a year, per God's instruction, the Jews all had a camp out. And they didn't take tents on the camp out. They built booths as a reminder of when they came up out of Egypt and spent all that time out in the wilderness. This is to be an annual reminder for them. Well, so the idea of building some little shelters just made sense to Peter. You know, I can do this, Lord. We're up here and there's stuff around. I can build some little shelters for you all, and this is really going to be great. That was his idea. It did not go over well with God. Okay? Because while he was still speaking, proposing what he's going to do in order to prolong this wonderful experience, a cloud of light enveloped them. Now, Jesus is shining. It doesn't say that Moses and Elijah are. But Jesus is shining. And suddenly now, everything around them is shining. They are in a cloud of light, this brilliant light. And a voice speaks. And the voice says something that we need to hear. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they were terrified. And they fell face down on the ground. Can you understand why? They had just heard with their ears the voice of God. God sometimes impresses me with things that I need to do this or I need to not do that or I need to understand this. But I have never heard audibly 
the voice of God. But these three heard the voice of God. And God said to them, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when they looked up, all they saw was Jesus. When I was a teenager, I believe I was 14 years old because I was still riding my Schwinn bicycle. There was a blasphemous, phony Messiah who rented a house in Montreat, may have bought the house, I don't know. Anyway, he had a house in Montreat where I grew up, little tiny town. And I began to hear things about this guy and how he was kind of claiming to be a, you know, a Messiah figure and, um, and was leading people astray. He had um, uh, seminary graduates and various other people who had kind of joined his little cult. He had a place in Montreat and he had a place in Carmel, California, and he would jet back and forth between the two, and he had a Mercedes in Montreat, and he had a Mercedes in California, and boy, if you want me to be impressed, just have not one Mercedes, but two. So I, I, I thought, well, this guy is clearly experiencing some success, but if he's claiming to be a Messiah, this is wrong, and somebody needs to put a stop to this. So a lot like Peter, I thought, I'll take care of it. Um, I bicycled up to his house, knocked on the door, and uh, I was going to talk to him and find out exactly what is this guy saying and straighten him out if he's wrong. I I'm embarrassed to say that about myself, but it's true. That's what I did. Well, they welcomed me into the home. They were so glad to have me there. And this guy proceeded to do his Shmoo and wows act. I mean, it was schmoozing and wowing that he was practiced at. And it went beyond just psychology. It was demonic. There really was an extraordinary presence about this guy. He looked me in the eye as we were talking. And he said, Jim, if I were to tell you things that God has in store for you, you would just go right through the ceiling. I can tell you this, the world will be a far, far better place because you are in it. Me? <laughs> oh, boy, is that nice to hear. Well, of course it's nice to hear. It totally appeals to pride, which is what Satan's been doing for a long, long time. But I thought, well, I can hear what the guy has to say. <laughs> and so he began telling me about his story, the experiences that he'd had and how God had revealed to him the plan that God had for his life. And then he began to suggest planting seeds little by little that, you know, Jesus is not the only one in Scripture who is referred to as the Christ. 
Cyrus in the Old Testament is referred to as the anointed one, which is what Christ means anointed one. It's the based on the Greek term for the Hebrew term Messiah, Mashiach, which means anointed one. Cyrus was the anointed one. In his day, he was anointed by God to accomplish the plan of God. Then Jesus comes, and he is the anointed one. And he is chosen by God and anointed by God to accomplish what he came to do. And by the way, this is the same lie that Islam uses regarding Jesus. Oh, Jesus was a prophet. He was a great prophet. But he was not the last prophet. Muhammad is the last prophet. He is the great one. Various other folks down through history who have been demonized and wanted to set themselves up as the current Messiah and get a bunch of people to follow them have claimed to be the next Messiah, the new Messiah, the Messiah for now. Well, I heard this guy, and it was interesting. One of the key things he used to try and plant this seed that he's now it was to go to this passage, not opening the Bible, but just referring to it, because he knew I knew the Scriptures, He said, who were the three on the Mount of Transfiguration? And I said, "Uh, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And he said, exactly. And then he moves on to his next subject. And the idea that he was planting was, you see, Moses was anointed to do what he did. Elijah was anointed to do what he did. Jesus was anointed to do what he did. And Now, you are in the presence of the Great One. I thought, well, this just isn't right, but what if it is? How do I know? How do I know that just as the Old Testament figures had all kinds of followers who didn't recognize Jesus when he came, how do I know that maybe I'm not being chosen to be one of the followers of God's current agent in the world who's going to do a new thing and blah, 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 blah. Again, I'm embarrassed to admit, but I'm telling you. I didn't decide he was right, but I thought, what if he is? And of course, before I left to pedal home, he gave me a photo of himself. Okay? And he looked so good in the photo. He wasn't looking at the camera. He was looking off to the side. And there was a light shining on him. Anybody could do a photo like that. So I, you know, I took the photo and I put it in my jacket and I pedaled home. And I, my parents were like, you know, so where have you been? What have you been? I was just visiting with someone. It was very interesting, etc. So I didn't get in any argument with my parents. I just went downstairs, and I put his photo on my dresser, propped up against the lamp, and I got ready for bed, had my prayers, and asked the Lord to just guide me about, you know, what's true and what's not. During the night, 
God graciously replayed that conversation point by point by point by point, showing what this guy said, showing how I responded, and then going into the scriptures to say what's right and what's wrong. Because scripture doesn't change. If you want to know whether or not someone's telling the truth, go to the scriptures. So, God brought me to this passage. And God asked me the same question. Now again, I'm not talking an audible voice. I'm talking about in a dream, the Lord was speaking to me. And the Lord asked me the question that Stephen Saunders had asked. Who were the three on the Mount of Transfiguration? And in my dream, I answered, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And then there was a question that Stephen Sanders hadn't asked. The question was, and what did I say? You see, when Peter says, let's build three shelters, God said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And when they looked, they only saw Jesus. He never said that about Cyrus. He never said that about anybody else. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth, and we are to go into all the world and make disciples. You and I need to realize he is incomparable. He is unique. And it is astounding that this, the Son of God would give his life as a sacrifice so that we could become God's children, sons and daughters of the King. Amazing. Jesus is unique and he has all authority and all power. And so we need, if we're going to understand this passage, to understand that is the heart of it. The uniqueness and the authority of Jesus. But secondly, we need to do what God said. God not only showed, this is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. God commanded, listen to him. Listen to him. What is your level of desire to know what God has to say? Do you eagerly go to God's word wanting to learn, wanting to have his direction for your life? When you're praying about the will of God, Do you want to know God's will so you can decide whether or not to do it? Or do you want to know God's will so you can do it? 
James 1 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously without making us feel foolish for having asked. But you must ask in faith, not doubting, because the one who doubts is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, and he shouldn't expect to get anything from God. If you want God to tell you what you should do so that you can decide, you might as well hang it up. Why should God tell you if you're not committed to doing as well? If you see God as a wise consultant, someone who can give advice that perhaps you should take very seriously. In fact, I'm going to consider what God says more strongly than just about anything else. But, of course, I'll have to make up my own mind because, after all, it is my life. Well, your life is on the road to Hades if you really think that it's your life. The fact of the matter is, if you want to know God's will so you can do God's will, God will do whatever it takes to show you His will. Because He's faithful. But if you just want to know God's will because you're curious, you just want His input, not hearing anything. Yeah, well, good. Good. Because we're responsible for what we know. And when God tells us what to do, we better do it. And if you want to know what God says we ought to do, read the book. I, I do, from time to time, marriage counseling and premarital counseling. and I've gotten to where, for years now, I tell the couples or the individuals, as the case may be, I want you to read this book and then we'll discuss it. And I give them the book, When Two Become One, which is a book about marriage that I wrote years ago with my wife's wonderful editing. And the reason for that is if you're saying you want me to give you counsel and you're not willing to read what I've already said, you don't really want my input that much. I'm happy to say that a lot of folks have read that book and been helped. But if you're not motivated enough to read the book, I don't want to have anything to do with counseling you. It's a waste of my time. How much more with God? Why would God add to your condemnation by giving you more information which you are going to spurn and reject like you have everything else God has said. If you want to know what God has to say, if you want to know God's will for your life, read his book. Is that clear? I hope so. Listen to him. But I'm so grateful there's another, another command in this passage. And that is when they heard, when Peter, James, and John heard the voice of God pointing them to Jesus, and they were so terrified, that's what it says, they were terrified, and they fell face down. Jesus came and touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. Get up, don't be afraid.
You know that God is telling his children, don't be afraid. You don't have to live your life in fear. You can live a life of faith, trusting in him. He came to save his children. He came to rescue us. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, God made us alive in Christ Jesus. And so whatever we face, God says to us, get up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For our brothers and sisters whose country has been invaded, don't be afraid. What if they kill us? What if they do? Don't be afraid. You don't have to fear death. What if the doctor says it's cancer? What if the doctor says it's too late? What if he does? Don't be afraid. But what if the person I love dies? Do they know Jesus? Don't be afraid. God knows everything. When we pray, it's not so that we can fill in the gaps in God's knowledge. We pray in order to get in step with what God is doing. I was asked to pray for someone in January of last year. And I prayed for them for several months. But gradually they fell off my prayer list because other people were being added and these folks were people with whom I didn't have contact. And so I would pray for them from time to time, but not with any real regularity until last week when God suddenly brought that family to mind and impressed on me that I needed to really pray fervently for the man's salvation which is what his wife had asked me to pray for. So I did what God said, and I started really praying for that guy to be saved and for that family to be whole. On Monday of this week, I got an email from the wife. Headline, it's a miracle. She said, My husband has refused to read the book. Interestingly, it was when two become one. He has refused to read the book, didn't even want to touch it. And our marriage has not been going well, and I was very concerned. But last week, she said, my husband finally started to pray. And on the third day, he was born again. And she said, now, after many tears, he is living with his eyes wide open. We're being baptized at our church. And he is excited about following the Lord. And he's reading your book, which before he would not do. Now, you see what happened was, God wanted to save that guy. 
but I wasn't praying. But when I started praying, God said, oh good, now I can act. No. No. God was about to save that guy. And he said, I want Jim to be in on this. And so he moved me to pray, not so that he could act, but because he was acting. And he wanted me to be there when the guy went across the finish line. So that I could rejoice in what God has done. The purpose of prayer is not to get God to do our thing. The purpose of prayer is to get us in line with God's thing. So that we are saying, Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord. So be it. Have your way. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is my son, the father said, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross to save all who believe. We thank you that you give the gift of faith and draw people to yourself in your perfect timing. We rejoice in your beautiful grace and the salvation that is ours, not just forgiveness, but transformation and that one day we will be like you when we see you face to face. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.